Welcome to Junior L's and Now What, episode 143, main topic episode 43. This is the final new topic of this this series, uh, chapter four, if you will. We're going to talk about how to measure. What is one of the hardest questions to answer, honestly and sincerely? The common greetings of how are you, or what is up, or how is it going, or other variations. Ignoring the fact that the person who is asking that question really doesn't actually want an answer. They're just merely acknowledging your existence. But assuming for the moment they actually do want an answer, do we really know? The truth of the matter is, most of us don't. To truly know, we must really and truly know where we've been, where we are, and where we're going, and then determine our success criteria based on that information. Do we really want to go there? Are we going backwards, or are we standing still? Keep in mind, as we've deduced in the past, it's not really possible to stand still. So you are moving in a direction, but is it a desirable one? A good example of this comes from one of my all-time favorite authors, J.R.R. Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings. In The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien was famous for his perfectionism, if that is such a word. He wanted desperately to produce something perfect. To give you a quick synopsis of how Lord of the Rings was incepted, uh, it goes back to the fact that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was, for all intents and purposes, a linguistic savant. Um, He was able to create, memorize, learn, and utilize many, many, many languages. It's been a while since I've read his biography, so I don't remember the volume, the number. All I know is that language was really his forte. In fact, that's what he taught, I believe, at Oxford on was linguistics. Um, He was part of the Oxford Dictionary, and he did a lot of research into the entomology of words. Words were his life. Um, his mom was equally as good as him, or at least close, and that's where he picked it up from, largely. So when he created this language, this beautiful, amazing language uh, that later became known as the Elvish language, he created a poem in it. And somebody once asked the question, what's the point of having a language if you don't have somebody who speaks it? And that's ultimately what created the story. Now, his first story, some of you may know the title of, and it is The Silmarillion. What you may not know is that The Silmarillion got published, I want to say, five or six years after his death. Now, for some authors, that might make sense because maybe they were near to finishing it. Let's put this into a different perspective. He wrote The Hobbit. 20 years later, he wrote the rest of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, or at least finished it. And then I want to say on the magnitude of 30 to 40 years later, he died. And then the Silmarillion was published by his son not too long thereafter, as I would argue a largely incomplete works. He kept revising it over and over and over again. And it took some serious pulling of teeth to get him to get the, uh, the actual Lord of the Rings trilogy itself published and completed. And in fact, even the publisher had to do some alterations to it to get it to publish the way it was. He wanted it as one book with kind of six sections in it, and they ended up printing it as three. The point here is that 
um, to, to measure his progress was largely impossible because he had a, a, a goal that was unachievable in this mortality, perfection. And uh, for anyone, with the exception of Christ, that's just not going to happen. And therefore, uh, he probably felt largely unaccomplished. In fact, some people may not realize this, but in the course of his life, he was always shocked by his own fame. Uh, when people saw or recognized him or was fascinated by his works, especially here in America, apparently we were huge fans of his uh, during the course of uh, the publication of The Hobbit and later the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and he just didn't quite understand it. And that was probably because he didn't even truly understand his own worth. Um, he was brilliant, uh, married, had kids, uh, taught at Oxford, as I mentioned before, um, he'd lived in England. He'd lived in South Africa. Um, he'd, he'd had quite a life, to say the absolute least, and uh, had met some truly infamous and famous people, um, and C.S. Lewis being a, a big proponent or a big name in there. Um, he was also very strong in faith. And I realize I'm digging deeper into this than the topic uh, in, in needs, but uh, I feel, I guess, it's late and I'm rambling. Um, so the point I'm trying to make here is uh, he had a very difficult time trying to picture what the end of this destination, this journey, was going to be for him. Not necessarily in, in all of his mortality, but in the uh, object of his focus, which was this, this fantasy world that he was creating and the books associated with it. Another example of this is something that many of you may never have heard of before, and it's called the Dimaxium House. And it was something that was created. It was incepted, I want to say, around the mid-1920s. It didn't really come to fruition. And I'm going to use that word loosely until the 1940s. And after World War II, there was a lot of uh, people who needed or wanted something that could be fully functional and easily assembled, a home or some kind of working space. And there was a, a man out there who was the author or the creator of this Dymaxian house and uh, he was a famous architect and had done other designs. Um, he was a person who tried to streamline stuff. He wanted to utilize, like, say, rainwater or other things uh, to make it, things as efficient and as, for lack of a better word, eco-friendly as possible. And, and we're talking 1940s. That's kind of a big deal, especially back then um, when, uh, you know, survival was still king. The point that I'm trying to get to with regards to the Dymaxian house is is very much the same point as Lord of the Rings. Um, one building was built, and it was the prototype, um, something that was somewhat incomplete, but it gave a pretty good idea of what the author or the creator of this was after. And the idea took hold so quickly that they sold a lot of, for lack of a better word, pre-orders. And the goal here was to be able to just say, okay, well, we want to build this house and we're going to build it here. So boom, they'd set it up and they'd build it. And it was going to be this great thing, especially for like returning soldiers who wanted a place to live. Well, uh, the creator of it says, I refuse to sell or have something made for somebody else that is not perfect. And it never came to fruition. Undoubtedly, there was a lot of lawsuits and uh, it went down in infamy as a failure. And again, this person was trying to achieve something as perfect. All right, so now let's move to um, 
a story from the Book of Mormon, something that I mentioned actually in the last podcast. And this is in reference to King Mosiah. So for those of you who know the Book of Mormon, there's two kings of with the name Mosiah. King Mosiah, who then had a son, King Benjamin, who then had a son, King Mosiah. So we're talking about the first King Mosiah. And uh, he was in the process of traveling north, once again fleeing the Lamanites. And they come across a people, a group of people known as the people of Zarahemla, who were descendants of uh, the lineage of Judah, specifically uh, from the lineage of Zedekiah, who had been the king in Judah, Judah at the time that Lehi and his family left. It was the descendant from one of his sons, Mulek. So I'm going to read the same passage I read during the interlude. And it says, Omni 1.17, and, and at the time that Mosiah discovered them, by them, the people of Zarahemla, they had become exceedingly numerous. Nevertheless, they had had many wars and serious contentions, and had fallen by the sword from time to time, and their language had become corrupted, and they had brought no records with them, and they denied the being of their creator, and Mosiah, um, nor the people of Mosiah could understand them. This is all going to make sense. <laughs> And I'm not throwing out this just random verse to confuse people, uh, because it's important to it's important to have a goal that you're going to achieve and understand how to get there. These people of Zarahemla didn't know where they'd been or where they were going, and therefore it would have been impossible for them to truly feel accomplished and to be able to answer the question that was posed at the beginning of this podcast. So here is. The quote, what if the only way to achieve your maximum potential is to establish a foundation and have a plan? Like those of Zarahemla, with no foundation, we can get lost. However, like the Silmarillion and the Dynaxian house, if our plan is mortal perfection, we will always be, and I quote, failures. The eternally leveling up principle number six applies here. Know where you are at on the path or your path. And now what? To know where you are at is to know your past, present location, and your destination. And through that, know you are progressing, even when going through the broken stage. Then when asked, you can say, yes, I am satisfied with where I am at on my path on this journey. So to wrap up this sort of somber topic, I'll end with a sly joke. I just burned 2,000 calories. That's the last time I leave brownies in the oven while I nap. Have a splendid evening, day, or whatever time you're listening to this. Smile and be happy, and remember that you're worth it. Thanks for listening.